You are listening to a message that was given at Living Word Chapel, Oracle, Arizona. It is our hope and prayer that God will use this message to speak to you and enrich your life. For more information, visit lwcoracle.org. Crazy. When we were in our late 20s, 1977, some of you don't remember that year existing. And uh, we came down here, we commuted from way northwest Phoenix Metro Center. And we commuted down here every weekend for, a year, for a, about a year. And um, we, we stayed in a, we came down Friday, we had a Friday night Bible study, and then we stayed through the weekend at church on Sunday morning, and then we did another Sunday night Bible study, drove back to Phoenix after the Bible study. And uh, <clears throat> we had a place to live. It, it's it, in the trailer park that, park that no longer exists, right near where you wa- drive into San Manuel. And uh, we, we were in this, this lovely 10-foot-wide mobile home and uh, with reg, had red shag carpet. <laughs> it was really... And it was, it was, it was uh, disgusting. Um, <laughs> But the church, it was the only thing the church owned, and so they sold that and used it as a down payment on, on the purchase of Jerry and, and Nelda Hedrick's house, which we turned into the church. And then dear Bob and his wife, Shirley, they came down here and said, we can't, you know, we got to put this church in a more, more accessible place, man. You, you needed like a, you needed a six-wheel drive just to get to church. Four-wheel drive wasn't enough. But anyway, they, they purchased the property out here, sold that property up there and purchased the, this prominent property across from the Ford dealership. So anyway, that was a long time ago, but it, it's a joy. We've been coming down, you know, a couple year, once or twice a year for, for a number of years now just to be a part of this. I'll be with you next week too. So you get to hear me once and then you can decide whether or not you want to come back next week. That's the way, that's the way church people are. They're not Christians. They're consumers, you know. <clears throat> Did you like it? What was it, a movie? You're talking about a movie or you're talking about church, you know? So <clears throat> that's, what ha- that's what happens when you walk out into the parking lot or you drive home. Did you like it today? That's the wrong question. Say, what did God say to you? That's the question. So anyway, my wife, uh, I think uh, she's headed to Loopy's to get us a couple burritos so we can have lunch on the way back because we, we had a 3.20 flight and uh, we're, we're going, he mentioned, we're, we're just going to New York my, my oldest son, is, he lives in California, but his family's going there for spring break, fall break. It's fall. There, he's, taking, he's got three kids, and his, uh, my oldest granddaughter, is, uh, she's a senior in high school, and she's looking into some East Coast colleges, universities. And uh, so they're going to go out. They're going to stay, stay in Connecticut for a week. Marilyn's just going out with me, and then she's leaving me tomorrow and uh, would rather spend it with her children and grandchildren. They don't, they don't talk back to her. Okay. So uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. I pray for your Holy Spirit to work in a very special way. Speak to us. Bless this church. Bless James and Shauna. Give them a great weekend. Lord, we thank you for people who live an example of what it means to follow you, Lord, serving one another and their kids. Bless their kids, grandkids. Jesus, we want to hear your voice now in this service. 
In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin by showing you a movie clip here, a video clip. And it's, an, it's not a happy clip. It's, a, it's, a, it's an unsettling clip. And we want, we want to talk about this kind of, it sets the tone for what I want to say today. So let's, let's watch this. And you guys can turn it off at about 40 seconds. You know, there's a countdown clock on there. It's an old video. And some of you will recognize this. <clears throat> Rodney King. Um, this happened many years ago, but it's still happening. This is Rodney King, his mugshot after they took him in. The police who, who beat up this man were tried and they were acquitted. And this is what happened next when the acquittal came out. This is what happened next in Los Angeles. And there's a, another photo. It was just, it was a terrible thing. Way back in the early 90s. And then Rodney King famously was interviewed on video and said something that's really become a kind of it's become kind of a mantra. It's a famous statement. It's not remembered exactly the way he said it. So just listen to what he said. I just want to say, you know, can we can we all get along? Can we can we get along? Um, can we stop making it making it horrible for for the for the older people and the, and, the, and the and the kids? Can we get along? Uh, some people say, can we just get along or can we all just get along? But uh, he said, can we just all, just, can, we, can we get along? Rodney King. And then a few years later, this was in the Chicago Tribune. Attack on wife lands Rodney King in jail. Los Angeles, California, six years after his videotaped beating by police generated worldwide outrage Rodney King is serving 90 days in jail for trying to throw his wife out of a moving car. <clears throat> Why can't we all just get along? <clears throat> Please forgive me in advance for saying this, but I mean it in a theological sense. What the hell is wrong with us? Why can't we all just get along? I mean, families, I won't ask for a show of hands how many of you are divorced and divorce isn't the end of the world. You've tried to figure that out, trying to live that out. But uh, why can't we get along with our kids? Kids can't get along with their parents, our neighbors, people we work with, our boss. 
Democrats and Republicans, they're getting along. They're living examples of how Jesus died for us to be reconciled. Why can't we get along? The nature, it's the nature of human persons. We're created in God's image. We're created to live in interdependent community. We're created to get along and hating each other like the devil. How many of you have disliked at least one person in your life at least once? All right. Can we get along? Can we just get along? I, uh, I've been doing some work with the Catholic Diocese of Phoenix. It's a miracle. I'm doing work for American Bible Society, and I have the blessing of the Bishop of Phoenix, Bishop Olmsted, to lead, to spearhead a Bible engagement movement for the Diocese of Phoenix, all 93 dioceses and one million people. And we, we launched a movement in Phoenix called John 17 Movement where you, know, you saw an old bridge. We're trying to build bridge with, bridges with Catholics who are not exactly unbelievers. They just have, a, if you came from a Catholic background, there's just a lot of stuff. And sometimes it's hard to find Jesus in the Catholic Church. But he's there. Catholics wouldn't deny Christ. And uh, the auxiliary bishop has become a friend of mine. His name is uh, Eduardo Navarres. And he, his life has been changed by our John 17 movement. He's 61 years old, and he, he said not too long ago, since I've been participating in this John 17 movement, the Bible has come alive to me. It's incredible. And I love what he says. Ronnie King, why can't, can we just get along? And Bishop Navarre, his, his mantra, he says, can we just pray? Can we just pray together? You know, I think about families that are having lots of trouble. Can we just pray together? Can we just come to Jesus together? You know, when Jesus, uh, according to the Bible, you know, it all started, all this not getting along, it started with this little sin eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But there's so much more. It was really turning away from God and deciding that we can do life on our own. And when we lean on ourselves, we go to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and we can become like God. If we know what's right to do and do it, and we know what's wrong to do and we don't do it, then we're going to be better people, and we're going to do it on our own. When we rely on ourselves and not on God and others, it'll just kill us. I mean, that's what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil does. You eat from that tree, you try to do it on your own, it'll just kill you. You try to do marriage on your own, it'll just kill you. You, you know, you try to do reconciliation with other people. I mean, you just look at our world, how unreconciled it is and how much polarization there is, how much hostility there is uh, in this election. It's I've never seen anything like it. Bob's a little older than I am, I think, and, I, and his wife surely is shaking her head. Have you ever seen anything like this? And believe me, once we elect a, a president, do you think the hostility is going to go away? I mean, there, there's a bunch of white guys that were just arrested, terrorists, because they wanted to blow up a, uh, an apartment complex where there's Somalis that are living. You know, this is in mid-America, I think in Kansas. And, uh, you know, we got... 
you just it, there's just darkness everywhere and everybody's angry and you know if you didn't know this okay the media needs viewers and politicians need votes and you know how you get viewers and votes you got to be outrageous and get people upset i mean the media gets more and more outrageous and it's television you know uh, viewer discretion advised when i was growing up people in a, in a family sitcom, had, husbands and wives had twin beds. Some of you remember that. You know that? You watch Leave it to Beaver. His mom and dad don't sleep in a double bed. And, uh, you know, it's just everything is in your face. And then we have social media. Does, you know, social media. Does tweeting actually reconcile people to one another? We live in an increasingly hostile world. And uh, this began with this little sin, you know. Uh, it's just going to kill us if we don't depend on God. God said, if you eat from that tree, you will surely die. And they did, and they died. And right now, death is all around us. Just click on CNN.com. But in his wrath... As God pronounces a judgment on Adam and Eve, he also gives them a mysterious promise. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 says this, and I will put hostility, this is a consequence of the fall, I will put hostility between you, the devil, the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, the devil's offspring? Yes, as long as we live like the devil, we are living like we're his offspring. And wherever his offspring are, there's hostility. And it says, uh, her offspring will attack your head. And you will crush, his, your offspring will crush his head, is what it says in the other translations. And you will attack her offspring's heel. So what is this talking about? When Jesus died on the cross, the devil had him by the heel, but Jesus crushed his head. And Jesus put death to death. And he put hostility to death. We're going to see that later in the message, how Jesus, when he died on the cross, put to death hostility. Yes, Jesus died on the cross because only God could answer the question, can we all get along? What did the angels sing on Christmas Day? Peace? What did the angels sing? Peace on earth, right? Peace on earth. That would be your home, your family, your job, your business. Arizona, Democrats, Republicans, blacks, whites. It would involve everybody. Peace on earth. And, and, and may this happen among men of goodwill. So... The cross is where all of this stuff was turned around, where Jesus crushed the head of the serpent. It's the extraordinary symbol of the Christian life. It's on the top of this building. You can see it from the highway. It's on just about every church. But it's not just about cool jewelry. I mean, some of it's cool. This brother's got a cool cross on right there. Uh, but... 
It's about being a portal. The cross is like a portal. It's an entrance. We go through the cross into a completely different way of living life. We go through the cross into a completely different way of living life. We go through, through the cross into a world where we're, we're not bound by the power of darkness, but we are empowered by the light the res- and the resurrection light of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so I want to talk to you today about the cross. Today I'm going to talk about Jesus on the cross. And next week, I'm going to be here two weeks in a row, I'm going to talk about you on the cross. Hallelujah. Because Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you got to what? Take up your cross, right? You can't just wear it. you got to die on it. So some, have you ever said, you know, you've been going through some really tough things in life, you say, man, this is just killing me. Praise the Lord. Because you're on the cross. And, you, you know, you get to fully understand what Jesus went through. And you, you know, and, and, and it's about you not just dying physically, but dying to yourself. But that's next week, okay? So I'm going to have two really happy, encouraging messages in a row. Okay? Hallelujah. The joy of the Lord is my strength, only, but only when I die. Okay? So uh, there are five things I want to talk about today. First of all, what happened at the cross? There's forgiveness from God. Okay? There's forgiveness from God. Now remember that because we're going to kind of come full circle at the end. It's forgiveness from God, okay? Let's look at a couple Bible verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, uh, it, says, it says here that he, the Father, made him to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. For God took the, this is from another translation, God took the sinless Christ and poured into him our sins and then in exchange... He poured God's goodness into us. And goodness is it's a wonderful word, but it's a weak word. He poured into us his righteousness, his perfection. God takes away all of our sin. Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He separates our sins as far as from us as the east is from the west. Jesus is not just the Lamb, but he's also the scapegoat. You know, that Jesus takes away the sins of the world. That's what John the Baptist said. Behold, the Lamb. He saw Jesus of Nazareth. He, Nazareth, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And that, that's, he's, he's mixing two symbols into one. He's, he's, putting, he's morphing two symbols. The Lamb of God who bears the sins of the world, but then also the scapegoat who carries the sins of the, of the world. The sins of Israel were placed on the, on the scapegoat and the scapegoat. Cape goat was kicked in the you-know-what and just sent out into the wilderness. He carried the sins away, took them away. So when Jesus died on the cross, he doesn't just forgive you. He doesn't just, he doesn't just look the other way. He takes your sins away. And then in this kind of vacuum, you got nothing in the vacuum. He fills that vacuum with his perfection, with his righteousness. So when Jesus died on the cross, something happens inside of you when, when you receive Jesus. It's not just about you being forgiven. It's about you getting this, this unbelievable exchange. Jesus has given your sin and all the sin of all the people you've ever met in your life and all the seven billion people's sins in the whole world. They're put on Jesus. He takes that. He's crucified for our sins. He's punished. And in exchange, he gives us his righteousness which makes you perfect forever. 
Hallelujah. Forever. So, God is good. Look at 2 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. This is the work of the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. So he doesn't just give us his righteousness, but he liberates us so that we can live in his righteousness and live out of his righteousness. So forgiveness from God. And then First uh, John chapter 3, verse 5. I love this simple verse, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And then this, uh, Matthew chapter 26. I think once a month you celebrate the Lord's table here. Is that right? One Sunday a month. And the Lord's table, of course, it's a commemoration, but it's more than that. It's an encounter with the real Jesus. Jesus is sitting at the table. It's the Passover meal. He's going to be arrested that night. And he takes the bread. This was a traditional way to begin the meal. He broke the bread as a loaf of bread. They didn't come in. They didn't have sliced bread. Okay. They broke bread. You know, no, nobody thought about like doing this to a loaf of bread. And uh, so they, he broke the bread, and then they passed the bread around, and they break it. Uh, some more, each, each person would take a piece. And, and uh, it's kind of like an outback. You know, they sort of slice it, but mostly you'd kind of have to rip it apart, you know. He broke it, and he said, this is my body that's given for you. And then, th- this is unusual, he didn't quick grab the chalice. They had dinner. He broke the bread, and then they had dinner. And then after dinner... It says after, in the King James, after he had supped, after supper, he took the cup. And the cup, uh, I've been told, was what is uh, still present in a family celebration of the Passover. It's called the, um, the cup of mystery. And Jesus took this cup. It's reserved for the Messiah. And Jesus took this cup. And he said, this cup is the new way of doing things in my blood the New Testament in my blood, as opposed to the former way of doing things, the Old Testament, where our sins are forgiven by the the blood of bulls and goats. Jesus says, I'm I'm offering you a new covenant. This, This is the blood of the new covenant, which I'm going to shed for your sins. For your sins. Matthew 26, 27, then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you, This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. What for? For what? Forgiveness of sins. Okay. Now, the second thing that happens at the cross, you know, most people could tell you, why did Jesus die on the cross? Well, he died to take away my sins. I mean, that's the starting point. But it's only the starting point. There are so many things that happened when Jesus died. I wrote a whole book, one of my books, Mike mentioned it. One of my books is called Experiencing the Power of the Cross. And it's about the cross as a portal where we go through this entrance, this gate, into a whole new way of living life, doing life and living life. And so the second thing that I want to talk about here is that when Jesus died on the cross, he, he, gave us, he gives us a new nature, a new, we become a new creation, and we get new life. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. This is just 
this is just incredible. Ephesians chapter 2. Paul is writing this to Paul is writing this to Gentile believers uh, in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was the second largest and most prosperous city of the Roman Empire behind Rome. Ephesus is thought to have been the second largest city. It had one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the Temple of Diana, which was up on a hill. The whole city and all of its commerce, uh, it was a fabulous library there, arts and entertainment, a massive uh, amphitheater, some of which, all of this, a lot of this is still there. You can go and see it. Uh, I've been to Ephesus a couple of times, and uh, up on the top, it was this Temple of Diana. And people came from all over the world just to worship the the goddess of sexuality and sensuality. And uh, so Paul is writing to the church in this, they're in the, under the shadow of paganism. And you know, more and more we see this in America. You know, it's not like, oh, oh I don't know what I'm ever gonna do. Just read the Bible because people have already, do, have already done what you're gonna have to do. You know, how, how do we deal with a dark, an increasingly dark world? And so Paul is writing to the Ephesians uh, and he says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin, sins. You were dead. So the resurrection power of Christ when Jesus was raised from the dead, it's not just about you being raised from the dead and going to heaven to be with him forever. But you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. There are things that we do that cause death in our lives. How many of you have done at least one stupid thing in your life? Praise the Lord. I'm glad uh, but I'm glad that so many of you have not done that because you just sat there like this. You know, uh, how many of you, since you became a Christian, you've actually sinned at least once? All right, all right, okay. That's why every week in the Catholic Church, and I was raised Lutheran, we said, we sang, Have mercy upon us. Every week we sang that. And sometimes there's something positive about that. We've got to recognize that we're, we're living this out, the things that Jesus gave us. So, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed. This is two, two very powerful forces. The ways of the world. Just turn on the news. Any news station you want to listen to, Fox, CNN, NBC, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal. It's the ways of the world. It's not all bad, but it's living life without God. And the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit. The, so you've got two things happening here. You've got the ways of the world, but then you have those ways empowered by spiritual, dark spiritual forces. As Paul says later in Ephesians, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's not just about the people around you, but it's about the spiritual forces that are working in all of the circumstances of our lives. And we're just a step away from heaven and the presence of God, and we're just a step away from hell, depending on whether we follow the ways of the world or the ways of God. And all of you know what I'm talking about because you've done both, right? You've done both. So uh, we follow the ways of the world and the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Now this doesn't mean that every, every person who's not a Christian or every backslidden Christian is possessed by the devil. But there is a spiritual power. There's a spiritual power at work in our hostility. 
And you know, there's a spiritual power at work when we forgive. Forgiveness is not just a noble human act. It releases the power of God. When Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing, do you think he was just trying to cope? Was it just a coping mechanism? In that moment, he was inviting the presence of a God. He was inviting heaven to come into hell when he said, Father, forgive them. So all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts, the things that we want, the things that we think about. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So when Jesus comes into your life, as a result of what he did on the cross, you get a new nature. But because of his great love for us, God, who was rich in mercy, made us alive. He, our old nature was crucified with Christ. Uh, we had a nature that was deserving of God's wrath. But Jesus died, I'm crucified with Christ, and I'm made alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, in transgressions, it is by grace that you've been saved. So I love to say this. When you're born again, you are regenerated. That's the same word, right? Genes, genetics, uh, genesis. You're regenerated. When you become a Christian, you get the very DNA of Jesus. In, in 1 John chapter 5, it says that we have the seed of God in us. And that Greek word there, the seed of God, is the word sperma. S-P-E-R-M-A. Does that sound like any, any English word you've ever heard? So when you, when you were born again, you actually get, you get a new nature. This is why Jesus said to Nicodemus, he was a pretty good guy, you know, Nicodemus said, what must I do to enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus should have told him, oh, Nicodemus, go home, man. You're, you're at the top end of the curve. You know, you, you spend your whole life trying to know me and, and live for me. Jesus didn't say that to him. He said, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. It's not just about doing good things. It's not about the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, knowing what's right to do and doing it, and knowing what's wrong to do and not doing it. You need a new nature. Because by nature, we're under God's wrath. And so when our nature is changed, we get, I'll say it again, we get the perfect righteousness of Jesus. Um, my wife and I were listening to a, a delirious album on the way down here. I don't know how many of you have heard of a contemporary Christian group. They're, they're actually not recording anymore. Uh, popular maybe 10 years ago or so, five, 10 years ago. And uh, they've got a song about, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I mean, it's a rocking song. But what, what does that verse, what does that passage say? Romans, in the book of Romans, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And that doesn't mean the power of God so you can be saved and go to heaven. The power of God uh, unto salvation means you can now live a completely different life, a life that's significant and productive, and a life that's not bound by the darkness of your past. And then Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness from God is revealed. This is an unheard of mystery that somehow we get righteousness 
not because of what we do. We're righteous not because of what we do, but we get righteousness from God. I mean, that's what the gospel is. That's why it's such good news, because I just can never be righteous enough. How many, at least once since you become a Christian, have said, I'm not really as good as I could be? And that's a real, that's a real bummer. But So we are given the righteousness of Christ. It's the power of God. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation, because in it, righteousness from God is revealed. That's the tree of life instead of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So, And God raised us up, verse 6, with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. In, Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus, we're already seated in heavenly realms. You've got to be perfect to sit down in heaven. But in the work that Christ has done, we are already seated with him in the heavenly realms in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's not by good works. It's not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we've been prepared to do good works, but how do we do them? By doing them, by trying harder, or by resting in Christ, staying so close to Jesus? abiding in Christ so that we bear fruit, not because we have to or we should, but because we just do. Work out, Paul says to the Philippians, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. For God's at work within you. He doesn't say work on it. He doesn't say work for it. He says work it out. And this is the calling of the Christian life, not to do things, necessarily for God, but to do things because God's already at work within you. Christians are fruit trees, not Christmas trees. Christmas trees are beautiful, gorgeous, dead trees. Sometimes they're so dead, they're made out of aluminum and plastic. That's how dead they are. But people go, oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah, well, it's only beautiful because you hang stuff on it. It doesn't come out of the tree. We're, we are fruit trees, not Christmas trees. And that's the difference between human effort and the effort of God in us. It's the gospel. And this brings us to my next point, that Jesus, when he died on the cross, he pronounced death to legalism. To legalism. That is the treadmill of self-effort of performance orientation, to the feeling deep inside that I'm never good enough and that others are never good enough either. Because, you know, when you're living by the law, you judge your, you try to get certain things right in your life and then you look at others and they don't have those things right in their life and so you, you condemn them. So when you're under the law, you condemn yourself and you condemn others. Okay, so Jesus actually put to death legalism. This, this feeling of should. You know, my, my wife, she's not here, I can talk about it. But actually, she heard me talk about it in the last service. She loves to say, we, we should. On the way home, on the way down here today, she said something like, we should, we should, you know. We should more, more. And I t- I t- I, I've told her, I just, I don't like that word, you know. 
So let's just do it, you know? You know, but people live, you know, on the, for, the, for the shouldas, wouldas, couldas, you know? And how many of you say, oh, I should have done differently? I, you know, and we should in the future. We should, you know, we should, we should be nicer to each other. We, we should have sex more. I'm sorry, that was just, that just came out, you know? <laughs> Some of you are going, we should, you know? That's what men think, you know? We should have sex more. Anyway, but... You know, we have all these shoulds. How many of you have had a few shoulds in your life? All right. And they drive you crazy because you never get there. The should is like, a, it's like when you're driving on the highway in Arizona and about a mile ahead of time, it looks like the road is flooded. But it's just a mirage. And you get there. It's like the end of the rainbow. And the mirage is still a mile ahead of you. Those are the shoulds of life. Um, I got a favorite place, not, not a lot of favorite places in the Bible, but I got a favorite place online. It's called despair.com. And despair.com sells demotivational posters. Failure, when your best just isn't good enough. <laughs> we live, this is where we live, you know? You know, so, you know, you're thinking, watch the Olympics. Have you ever thought to, self, thought, thought to yourself about the thousands and thousands and thousands of Olympic athletes who go home without a medal in despair? That's why it's despair.com. But this is, this is the way Christians, you know, that we feel this way. I shoulda, woulda, coulda, you know. Okay, so what does the Bible say about this? Look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. For all who rely on on the works of the law are under a curse. Because you see, when you keep going back to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I'm going to try harder, i got to figure this out, you will surely die. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do what? Everything written in the book of the law. Yes. Someone is saying amen back there. Blah, 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 blah. Wish the rest of you would get on board with me. Okay, so okay, everything, everything written in the book of the law. Everything, everything. I looked that word up in the Greek one time, and it's a really interesting word in the Greek. It's a combination of two Greek words, every and thing. Okay. It's not hard, okay? Everything. So Jesus makes it really clear because some people were thinking they were actually keeping the law, and so Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. If you think you're good, read the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say to you, gentlemen, if a man looks upon a woman wrongly, he's committed adultery in his heart. He's committed adultery before God. So we're all as bad as Donald Trump. Okay? <laughs> So they're like they're just committing adultery, and then, and then there's talking crudely, and, and then there's just thinking about it. No man stands justified before God, except maybe guys, men who like other men, but that, that's a problem too. So you want help or not, okay? You want, <laughs> I'm helping Bob. He's getting healed over there. Pastor Bob's getting healed. 
So men don't like that verse. Well, let's just take the verse that comes right after that. You know, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. Right after that, Jesus says, you've heard, heard it said, thou shalt not kill. But I say to you, if in a fit of rage, you call somebody a bad name, you're in danger of the fires of hell. That's what Jesus said. So, you know, you, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands how many of you have killed somebody. But I'm, let me ask you, how many of you wanted to kill somebody? You're in danger of the fires of hell. Okay, because you got an old nature. You need this new nature. And even after we get the new nature, we still go back to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Think of it. Adam and Eve were perfect. They had nothing to lose. They, 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 had, they were made in the image of God, and they went to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because the biggest sin of all is thinking we can do it on our own. So... So clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. Not the righteous will try harder. The righteous will live by faith. Every single day, I have to remind myself that I am made perfect by the righteousness of Christ in me because there's always something in me that should be different. Okay, number four. Number four, reconciliation. And that's just getting along, okay? Reconciliation, just getting along, death to everything that stands between you and others. Forgiveness from you. Remember what the first thing was that I talked to you about today? Forgiveness from God. But also, the cross means forgiveness from you, for others. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who sin against us. Look at this verse, Ephesians 2. This is one of my favorite, all-time favorite verses of Scripture. For he himself is our peace. Not our peace with God, but with each other. Who has made the two groups one. Now that would be Jews and Gentiles. But you could put any two in there. Men and women. Donald and Hillary. African Americans and white Americans. and uh, Mexicans and Donald Trump. You know, you could, you could put any two groups in there. Okay. Any two groups. He made the two groups what? One. And has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Not the dividing wall of difference or difference of opinion or different of difference of doc, differences in doctrine, but he's, divide, he's destroyed the dividing wall of hostility which grows out of our frustration with differences. So we're hostile. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations, your way becomes the only way, and that's sort of the law. We're back to legalism. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making, say with me, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God. What are the next three words? Through the cross. This doesn't say anything about getting your sins forgiven. See, the cross does so many more things. Through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. You know, I just never hear this on any news station, conservative or liberal. I don't ever hear this. I, this is just not... It's, it's the way... It, 
It's the way of the world, you know, that we're, we're constantly immersed in the ways of the world. And the way of the cross is foreign even to Christians. Because some Christians more, spend more time listening to the news than they do reading their Bibles. So, number five, and I'm done. And I'm, I'm getting out of here because I'm in deep trouble. Okay? With all of you here. John, John what's the last thing? Number five. Jesus gives us eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have, et- have eternal life. What was it say? Shall, will not perish but will have eternal life? Does that, was that what it says? It says, shall, it says, uh, which, it says uh, but have eternal life. You have eternal life right now. If you have Jesus, you have eternal life you belong in heaven. You're perfect. That's why you're seated with Christ in heaven. Nobody but perfect. No, nowhere. No, no, nothing but. No, only perfect people get to heaven. And that's why you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. And let's stand together to sum it all up. I, w- I want us to read this scripture together.